Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right. I would like to welcome everybody back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. I'm really excited about this meeting. Uh, I'm excited about this interview. I think our guest today is going to provide such amazing value to the listeners, not just from you know a really high-level educational uh, point of view, but also from lived experience. And today I have former acclaimed professional athlete and boxer, Ray Chiangolini, with us. Ray is coming to us from upstate New York and has some very keen insights into concussion awareness into second impact, which we're going to dig into a little bit more. Ray's going to really share insight on, on what that is. Um, you know, he's going to tell us a lot about what a concussion is, what a concussion isn't. And he's also going to share with us some of his hope for the future in the world of brain health and in sport and in concussion care. So, you know, Ray, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Well, it's a great honor to be here. And thank you for this opportunity to uh, help to promote awareness to concussion. Of course, Ray. No, it's it's really, really nice to have you here. And some could see this visually, you know, Ray's uh, in his office space here with, with many acclaimed awards and photos of his, of his accomplished acclaimed career in, in boxing. So Ray, you know, did come to learn more about obviously head injury and concussion, I believe, you know, primarily through, through boxing. So, you know, Ray, would you mind, just for our listeners, helping them to understand a little bit more about you and what brought you to this, to, to boxing and, you know, what Ray was like as a young guy and what, what really brought you into, into boxing? It uh, all started at six years old. Uh, my grandparents owned an Italian restaurant in Geneva, and uh, I used to go there to help out a little bit at six years old. So I thought I was helping out anyway. <laughs> and, uh, well, they, uh, back then they didn't have uh, color TV or many televisions. So the bar room had a big black and white um, Admiral TV above the bar. And every Friday night, the Friday night fights by uh, Gillette and uh, Utica Club used to have the Friday night fights. And uh, one night the bar room was packed with patrons to, had to watch the uh, um, champion then Carmen Basilio. And, um, by God, the car crowd roared with every punch Carmen threw. And that inspired me after the, after his fight, I went uh, down in the basement. I, um, got an old linen bag, stuffed it with linens and climbed on a pickle barrel and hung it from a, 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 pipe, a steam pipe. And I started punching away. And the next thing I know, my grandmother came down and she said, Raymond, what are you doing? I said, well, Grandma, I'm Carmen Basilio. And she says, oh, no, you, you better never mind this boxing stuff and, uh, and, go to, and go to college. She gave me a little swat on the behind and said, I'll get upstairs and help your grandfather in the bar room. And uh, that's where it started ever since that day. Um, that desire, I, I got to start in 
formal boxing at the age of young age of 14. Okay. And then uh, it went from there. And so obviously clearly you had a vision, you had a goal, right? And, and behind that was, you know, I'm always curious with high performers, right? You know, huh. you know, they, they, the young Ray was like, Hey, I'm just going to do this. You know, yeah. um, what was it underneath that? What was the appeal? Was it, you know, that maybe I could become this just by putting in the work or, well, you know. Yeah. I was focused on being middleweight champion at okay. all costs. And okay. later in the story, we'll see how this came to my demise too. Okay. Okay. Awesome. No, I, I thank you. It just, it's really nice to meet you. You know, for those that are listening, we, you and I both know, as we were talking earlier, that so much more education is needed here on this topic of, of second impact, which we'll get to get into more because this has really become a true passion of yours. Right. And for the people that are listening, Ray, our audience is typically people who are interested in brain health, might be doctors, might be medical professionals, but they also might be people, and this is really where I think you're going to be able to add such amazing value for people, people that might be struggling. They may have a history of concussion. They may have a history of even stroke. They may have an history of Parkinson's. They may have assumed, um, you know, CTE. For those people, what I really want to enable you to utilize your platform for is What's a main message that you would want for people to better understand? Because there's so much out there around this whole world of brain health, right? It's kind of overwhelming for some people. And especially when they're hearing from hospital people and they're speaking in language that maybe the common person may not understand. You know, what's a main message? And please take your time on this because I know you have a lot to share. Well, okay. what, what, what's kind of a main message that you'd want people to better understand around concussion, around second impact in general? Well, the message is a very simple one. Very simple, even though it's a complicated issue. And that simple message is, if you get your bell rung, have it addressed immediately and properly through um, professional help. But um, the message Really, the complicated part is um, there's so many different versions of why concussion is sometimes challenged, sometimes hidden, and a lot of it has to do with scholarships, um, desires, or just plain not having the knowledge of the ramifications of ignoring concussion symptoms. And through my story, I'm able to give them every example you could think of that would prevent them from, or at least make them think about, if they're trying to circumvent proper concussion protocol, what they're gambling with. And uh, when you circumvent the proper care, you're actually rolling the dice where the wager far outseeds the prize. Mm. That's yeah. where I Wow. Yeah, no, that's, you know, and people, for people listening, and please, please listen to what Ray's saying. Ray's been there, and, you know, he's giving us a cautionary tale, right? So, you know, maybe, Ray, if you wouldn't mind, like maybe now's the time to just get into it. 
please share us a little bit more of your wisdom and your lived experience around this, you know, because we were talking earlier, right? Uh, you know, when I, when I played football, you know, I can remember many, many times uh, ha having the bell rung and just thinking that that was almost normal, right? And not necessarily knowing the trainers, I don't know that they really knew it was as bad as it is. So what, what are some of your experiences that you might want to share with people around not following protocol <laughs> and how that caused some of the challenges? Well, um, I can start out with before I was taken a cumulative punishment, meaning we are finding out that now it's an accumulation, not just the concussion that can cause some changes in your brain behavior. And I was a high honor student and well behaved. And then I received a concussion. But again, now I've never been knocked down or knocked out ever. So this um, really kind of fooled me into thinking I wasn't getting hurt when I started having symptoms. Mm -hmm. But I took a fight in Buffalo and I had my bell rung. And I won the fight, but the next day I developed a headache and slight fatigue. But I thought it was of the mild, it was mild. So I figured, okay, I'll continue training because I had signed a fight again one week later at the Syracuse War Memorial. Uh, I took that fight and sure enough, I got my bell rung for the second time in one week. And um, this one was a little more, oh, how, how would I say it? A little more severe. And uh, I was dazed, but I finished the fight and uh, lost a very close decision. But the, the sign that I should have really paid attention to was that I vomited uh, in the corner water bucket. Uh, I think it was the third round. And then in the post-fight interview, there's time, there were times when they had to remind me that I had lost. Well, I uh, didn't, because uh, the symptoms of the first injury were mild, it fooled me into thinking it wasn't that serious. And believe me, the mild concussion is probably the most dangerous because that's the one you're probably going to overlook and think you can work through it. And Ray, this leads to a really important point. And, and it's something that we talked about. That I think people, some people know about it, but you're hitting on a super important point. Why don't you help people understand what a second impact is? Like, what does that mean for people that are listening at home? Okay. Second impact is when an athlete or any individual that rides an ATV, it pertains to everyone receives a concussion or has a concussion and gets another concussion on top of that before the first injury has properly healed. And this was called second impact injury or second impact syndrome. And it carries with it a very high risk of permanent brain damage. And in rare cases can be fatal primarily among adolescence where the brain is not fully developed and it's more prone to the swelling. And um, 
I would say that this is so preventable. It's entirely preventable. Right. Preach. You know, like I'm telling you, man, like, so I don't know. I, I, I'm going to get on the soapbox right beside you. Uh, we're together here, even though we're far apart. I'm in Vancouver, BC, and you're in upstate New York. This message is so important. And it gives me goosebumps as we're talking about it because I coach my youngest son in hockey. And, you know, there is exposure potentially to some of this, even though it's non-contact. And there's protocol. This is exactly what you're saying. And here's somebody who's high level, right? Like a pro athlete, Ray, accomplished career. And I'm just a guy, a dad in Vancouver, <laughs> BC. But the problem persists for both of us, you know? And I remember, so I'm kind of seen as kind of the brain guy within our community on the hockey team. And, you know, Hockey Canada has all these protocols that are to be followed. Well, the protocols are great if they're followed. And each of these individuals, like I love what you said, Ray, because I couldn't agree more. This is preventable for them in, in the most cases. This is preventable. And it's tragic that it's not being, some of these protocols are not being followed. And I'll, I'll share a tiny story, Ray, and I hope you do the same. You know, I, I remember pre-COVID when there was still hockey going on, one of our kids, really good player, had his head down going behind the net and a kid hit him, nudged him into the boards. And I saw his head hit the, I saw, I saw the acceleration, deceleration quick and, and him fall. And then I saw him kind of, and right away you're to do an assessment. And so I pulled him off, did an assessment, pulled him from play. Very unpopular decision. Why did I do it? Exactly what we're talking about. Second impact, the risk of that. And even his dad wasn't happy with me. Now he had to go get an evaluation from, from a physician. Well, what happened, Ray? You know what happened. What happened? He had a concussion, right? So the risk of him going back out on that other shift, though, I mean, if I, I hate to say it, but if I wasn't there, he would have gone back out. It's awful. It is awful. And uh, I have been called about situations, uh, emailed constantly, or in a crowd where I speak all over the country. I'll have individuals come up and, and thank me. And I liken it to a seatbelt. A seatbelt saves many lives, but we don't really know about those lives because they wore the seatbelt. Mm. And it's the same thing here. Uh, the people in the crowd that are hearing this, that go and get help after those symptoms, we've gotten to them. So that's why I liken it to a seatbelt. Absolutely. And together, let's just keep, I mean, I love what you're doing. Everything you're doing, I love it. Maybe if you wouldn't mind going a little bit more into, you know, some of the challenges that you had because of concussion, like so people can better understand. Because here's a guy, very well-spoken, very well-educated on this topic, but maybe help us to understand you know, are there impacts of this second impact or of these symptoms on you today? Are there things that concussion has made some things harder for you? Oh, it has um, impacted my whole life. Uh, you know, I've had a headache every day since I was 16 years old. And now I need help. I'm restricted from power tools and driving. I have... You know, I forget the names of lifelong friends sometimes. And I get by with a lot of things, Mark, like forgetting names. 
I use the word buddy a lot. Hi, buddy. And I, I struggle to um, sometimes. Now, there's good days and bad days. Well, there's some days I can't fight it, so they keep me at home. And uh, I miss events, and sometimes so does my wife miss events. And I, I live with that guilt, you know, of mm. being a burden. But, yeah, they are the best medicine for me is that support and, and help and supervision. Because mm. my decision-making is sometimes really hampered. Right. And I need right. that that avenue to go. But um, my dementia is progressive and I've been able to uh, kind of keep that pretty stable through clean living, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs and the support keeping away from anguish and frustrating things. But I uh, hope I'm not getting off base here. No, Ray, this is amazing. Keep, keep, please keep going. But I've had, um, I guess when I went to the gym after that second concussion, I was feeling very fatigued and I had that headache. And I asked one of the old time boxers, uh, they used to sit there and watch us train. I said, you know, I've been having these headaches and I feel tired. Right then one of the other old time boxers jumped up and he said, son, headaches are a part of this game. You have to learn to deal with it. I've been watching you. You have great talent. You have the ability to get to the top. Now, either gut it up or this game's not for you. Well, that hit me hard. I wanted to be middleweight champion. So I figured, okay, I got to gut this up. Uh, Headaches are part of the game. But, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, The old timers were not intentionally giving me bad advice at that time. We didn't know anything about concussion. We thought you had to be knocked out to get a concussion. And here I was never even knocked down. Uh, there were so many things that we just didn't know. And, 100%, um, Ray. 100%. And I think we have to be, like, that's one of the things, you know, Ray, I love this conversation, by the way. And thank you so much for your time. This is This is wonderful. You know, I think we also have to be kind of self-compassionate on that. And I think you are like, I think you have to be kind of mindful that you were, you know, you had a goal, right. And there was conventional wisdom wasn't quite there yet in terms of understanding the impact, right. Especially in in something like boxing, you know, surely if I'm still standing up, I'm doing okay. Right. You know, that's like, it's a pass fail. I'm standing up. I'm still there. You know, I'm gutsy. All the coaches are saying to me, you want to do this. You have to just, gut it up and deal with it. And we were talking earlier, you know, for those, you weren't privy to that conversation, but in football, it's a similar thing. Like, you know, your bell's going to get rung and you're just going to have to deal with it. And that's not the case, you know, anymore. And we've learned. And for me, you know, it's an interesting thing. Sometimes I hear questions from people, you know, like I, I get this question, you know, would you, would you do it again? Would you go and play football again? And my answer to that question is no, I wouldn't. But I understood what I loved about football. I would still be gritty and resilient as heck in whatever I was doing because I love teams. Like I love teams and I love the shared vision. And I get that. I, I'm so fortunate. I get that through my work now. So that need is met minus the headaches. <laughs> you know? Yes. 
there's um there's so many things i've had so much time to ponder what went wrong and i always come back to the same determination mm-hmm. it was the lack of concussion education and peer pressure that led to my demise mm-hmm. you know, i um thought that I had to just work through these headaches and it would leave me when I retired. Okay, with that in mind, but um, these uh, symptoms started to uh, drag me down. And at that level, it's just that little bit that can really affect your performance. So the constant headaches and fatigue, I used to uh, let up on my opponents so that the headaches because when they the more i exerted myself the worse the headache got and to the feeling of almost vomiting so there were times when i would just carry somebody do just enough to win so that i could keep that headache back and uh, with that i also won what was called the golden glove heart award and this award is given yearly to the boxer showing the most uh, determination and resiliency. But, you know, that uh, award gave me the false impression that I was invincible. And when <laughs> I was accused of not having my heart in the game anymore, the guy that just won the Golden Glove Heart Award, you know, within a few years, now he's having his heart question. And these things of pure pressure, it kind of was the spark that just kept me going. But um, the education, if I would have had a Carmen Basilio back then telling everybody about the symptoms, if you get those symptoms, take a rest, get help. I would have most certainly have done it. And I don't portray to be anywhere near a Carmen Basilio. But this is what I do now. No, it's great. It's amazing, man. What you're doing is awesome. And I feel this privilege to to know you because the the level of vulnerability that you're offering, I know that this message, Ray, is going to hit some people listening here because you need to be able to listen to your body. And for those of you who have been in athletics, and you know what I'm saying, you can feel it. Like when you're highly tuned, when you're training as much as you were, you know when something isn't right. You know it. And the enemy, but also the greatest strength, Ray, is that determination and that grit. Because it's what got you there. It's what got you down in that basement saying, I'm going to do this. <laughs> but it's also the challenge. Because it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this come hell or high water. It doesn't matter. Because you, you, your mind might go back to that guy in the gym saying, hey, headaches are just part of the, you got to just push through. Because it was the same kind of sort, of sort of thing on a much lesser level that I experienced in football was that's just kind of, and it wasn't necessarily the trainers. It was just the, it was almost self-imposed, you know, it's like, no, 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 just get back up. Next play, next play, next play. And, you know, I think maybe, you know, by having these kinds of conversations and sharing them, we can help that next generation. We can help them, you know, better understand. We can help them to mitigate that risk. And I think that's just such an awesome thing that together we can do. Yes, it's a, it's a team thing. It's not an individual. We we all have to um, get together on this because I've been at this better than 20 years. But I was cast off way back then. I was told you're a boxer. You're supposed to 
you know, have some head trauma. Um, they just wouldn't listen to me. But then gentlemen like um, Dr. Robert Cantu, Boston University, yeah, who I have so much respect for, who was also, you know, endorsed what I do. And Dr. Amalu, Dr. Bazarian, I've, I've met them all and worked with them. And I, you know, since uh, they came along, now they started to pay attention. Now yeah. things came to light. And that was when the NFL came along. Okay. Right. Um, the more what they would call, quote, unquote, uh, elite athletes. And sometimes people don't look at professional boxers as athletes, but eh, <laughs> I'll argue with them. Uh, <laughs> and you'll win. And you'll win. <laughs> but I'm so grateful that now uh, I'm being taken serious. And that's been about 12 years now or so. And I, like I say, I speak everywhere. In fact, I was out your area, Seattle. Mm. It was great. It was uh, for three days. And I met Dr. Stan Herring, who's uh, renowned with uh, concussion. So, uh, but, you know, Mark, this went Boxing was ahead of the game. We had what was called an EEG test that we yeah. had to get it to get a license or renew your license to box in the state of New York. Now, New York was notorious for having the toughest regulations in the country, mm. whereas some states didn't even have a commission, didn't even have rules or regulations. So. I failed an EEG test and um, they prohibited me from getting my license in New York again. So I listened to the old timers who told me, listen, continue your, your career. You want to stay sharp, go down South. They don't have uh, certain States don't even have a commission down there, but change your name. This way, the New York State Athletic Commission won't know what you were doing. You come back up here in a year or so, retake the test. You pass it. They think that you have sat it out and uh, you're going to continue your career. Well, I waited almost three years and I, you know, really hurt myself down there because I really needed to take that rest. When I came back up here, I failed the test worse. And that's when I hung them up. I just couldn't carry the headaches anymore. And then I realized I, I can't carry these and be middleweight champion. And uh, then I went into seclusion. And I started traveling the country, taking all the national parks where I couldn't, where I wouldn't bump into people. I, I just was so depressed. So when I came back, a physician friend, uh, very good friend, said, listen, this cognitive and I was being secluded. You have to address this. He said, you should go get checked out. So I went to a mental uh, Clifton Springs Mental Health Institution and I spent 10 days there. But I left living in denial because they told me I had severe depression. I refused to take medication or advised counseling. And, you know, I um, actually, I did that before, excuse me, I went on the trip out west 
But after about three months out there, I realized, uh, you know, I got to come out battling because that's what I do. I can make sure I have to make sure nobody else goes through this because it's totally unnecessary, totally preventable. Well, you know, Mark, it's um, I was punished. And um, I'll tell you how I got a call later from uh, Senator John McCain's office and they got my name. And um, they asked if I would cooperate with their investigation and they were going to do something about the corruption, some of the corruption in boxing. I refused to help, but then we got into an agreement. An agreement was I would help them with situations and ways of that boxers were doing things, but I would not give them names or venues. So they granted me complete anonymity Mm. and any prosecution. Okay, I took that. And at the end, this was 1994 and 1996, the Professional Boxing Safety Act was put into law. And especially that law prevented boxers from state hopping, which means if you were suspended in one state, the other uh-huh. state honor it. But see, back in my day, they didn't have a way to catch you. They didn't have computers and things. And uh, more so, too, there's a very much more important one that in 2010, I worked with the state senate in New York to pass what was called the um, Concussion Management Awareness Act. And this act prohibits any athlete from returning to a game if they've had concussion symptoms and they uh, have to have a doctor's permission to return to play. Wonderful. um, This has kind of eliminated significant impact syndrome as long as the athlete tells the truth. (laughs) It's only as good as the truth. You know, where the doctors and athletic trainers are not mind readers or magicians. What a great story. And thank you so much for sharing it. Uh, I really, I appreciate that. It was a friend of mine, you know, I remember being at a, there was a conference of that down at Stanford. And then after that, a group I got to know up here in Canada um, and they are doing really, really groundbreaking work in like organizational baseline testing. Mm -hmm. um, That's pretty objective. And it's triangulated. So it's not just because I, I like, I really like what you said about the athletic trainer because perhaps they could miss one, of course. Of course, the athlete may not want to report it because they want to play. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, but then also getting the parent, if they're a minor or another individual involved, if you have three instead of one and a spotter, like that's going to be much better. And there's a level of accountability with the league or the governing organization the individual and the team. So it's quite a brilliant thing. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, your kind of work and leadership on this race helping to solve what is a solvable problem. And I really, I commend you for that, Ray. I think that's like a question for you, like how proud are you when you think about your, your, your career in boxing and all that you did, you know, what gives you greater pride, you know, changing the way things are done or the career and getting there? 
Well, um, boxing to me is way down the list. I've been far removed from it. And one of the big things there was um, the new board that they made, supervisory board. One of the punishments for anybody that state hopped was they wiped their record out. Okay, so I had to forfeit everything that I did. But then on the other hand, it was with different names. Uh, It just went down the drain. And I thought to myself, but if I was rewarded for what I did, then it would entice somebody else to follow those footsteps. So I I accepted the uh, very much so in my heart. I accepted that punishment. but. you know, more than anything, it would teach the kids that anytime you cheat or circumvent rules and regulations, you're going to pay the price somewhere down the road. And uh, so it, could, it turned out to be a strong message. But, um, well, you know, tell you this, well, I always tell the truth, Mark. Uh, dementia doesn't allow you not to tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't have any pride at all with that. I just stay focused and driven that um, what I get out of it is happiness that I'm helping somebody. Pride, never, don't even think of it. Yeah. Great answer, Ray. That's a, that's a wonderful answer. And I mean, I kind of, I try to subscribe to a similar mantra, you know, like for me, it's keep your head down. You know, I'm a grinder, (laughs) you know, that, that, that's my, that's my strength. You know, I'm a grinder, so I'm going to get up there, get up early, and I'm going to keep working towards fulfilling that mission. And, you know, when we talk about kind of the work that we do, I know you've chatted with my colleague, Michelle, you know, what we found that was really frustrating us and really helped to motivate me was, you know, many of the people that, you know, I watch and I presented to the you know NFL alumni, I've presented, I've worked with NHL alum who had these persistent cognitive issues, but then no solution, no program. And when we're talking about, as you know, like when we go to the training room with the rotator cuff issue, we have a very clear protocol to work towards strengthening up that so that the punch can be proper again. And but when we experience these memory issues, when we experience, uh, you know, processing speed issues uh, cognitively, there's just not a lot of solutions out there. And Ray, I want you to know offline. We'll talk about this. I want to help. I'm here for you. I want to help because what we ended up developing as I went around and, and just learning from that, you know, at, at many conferences and many of the academic names I know of, of, of Cantu, of Malu, I saw Anne McKee speak up here in Vancouver. You know, I've talked with Chris Nowinski and the Concussion Legacy Foundation in Boston. I've talked with the counterparts here in Canada. Uh, it's a really big mission of mine um, to, to come up with at least options um, for people to have, whether it's, you know, post-cancer chemotherapy, post-concussion, post-stroke, post any kind of uh, neurological type infection that leaves damage to develop a platform and a program that people can engage in and exhaust their efforts in and actually lead to some level of cognitive improvement. And, and that's what we found, Ray, that you can do it. You know, neuroplasticity is a thing and, and it does, it does work. Uh, it takes effort though, but it does work. And, 
And that's something that Ray, you know, separately we'll have another conversation about that. We don't need to explain that all to the world, but you know, it's, it's something that motivates me. You can see my fire, my fire, in my belly get going when I talk about it because it's, because I just didn't see a solution. And, and many of the doctors out there, what they were saying was, you just got to deal with it. You know, like just expect less of yourself and you're just going to have to deal with the new you. And I'm like, well, that might be the case, but why don't we exhaust potential first? And then we can surrender to that. And, and that's part of what, like, when you think about our two causes coming together, oh my God, there's such synergy because that was the thing that I saw was that surely there's a better way. Because when we look at these other complex medical conditions, let's take cancer as an example, there are so many different studies out there trying to figure out how to produce a better result following this condition. But when we look at chronic you know, brain injury uh, symptoms, I just didn't see the same level, especially on the cognitive side. On the physical side, there's a lot there. There's a lot going on, on the physical side, but on the cognitive side, we didn't see that. And that's what continue. As you can see, the fire is high in me. It's like, no, we need to keep working to better understand how to help these people live a better quality of life following um, these conditions. Well, you know, Mark, boxers uh, make a living reading eyes. Mm. And I'm reading yeah. your eyes right now. And you're yeah. sincere. You are very sincere. I can see the heart. And remember, heart is the ability to keep punching against all odds. And you have those attributes. Oh, that means the world to me, man. Like, uh, it's true. Because, you know, um, you know I, I've been down before, too. Right. I've, I've been hit down. I've been sick with cancer before. I've, and I just kept fighting. And, but I wanted to have I was fortunate I had solutions in place. Right. But for so many people that we serve, that our organization is committed to helping, there wasn't even an option for some of them. And that was just not OK to us. So, you know, the group that I work with, I'm fortunate, you know, Barbara Aerosmith Young created what I believe is the best cognitive rehab platform available. And she's a big mentor of mine and Howard Eaton, the co-founder of the company together. We we're at a, a neuro conference and, you know, the researchers were suggesting kind of that there wasn't a lot you could do in some cases for this population. And I had already seen firsthand that there may be things we could do, not for sure, but there may be. And we should try testing it. And, and that's what we did. And I kept going back to Ray, what if someone hadn't done that for my kind of cancer? What if someone hadn't said, maybe we could and studied it properly? Well, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation, Ray. I know that's true. And uh, I not only have many lectures to high schools and college athletes, but what's really gaining is uh, are the medical institutions with the um, intern doctors or physical therapists. And I've found that I can help them in many ways with treating and uh, what would uh, someone with dementia is going through. Hmm. And, you know, the, I'm way ahead here because they predicted I wouldn't be too cognitive, cognitive many years back. Well, I've beaten those odds, and I have an edge on that. I have an edge, and I share that with them. And it's to me, it's 
they come up and, and tell me how much they've learned and how much they could use it to to understand their patient. Well, Ray, there's there's something again offline. Once we finish this, stop record. Um, I'm going to talk with you uh, about something I want to offer to you too on okay. the cognitive side because it's something we developed that you know I'd love. It's your your choice, but. Um, well, I want yeah. to talk to you. I absolutely. You can talk to me for 12 hours straight. I, I will <laughs> talk to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> on good days and bad days, some bad days, you know, I'll, but I still struggle through it, but I have an edge because I stop the meds and I take a, some yeah. emulators for these good. periods, which help a lot, but you oh, can't yeah. do that every day, so... You know, it's that's with the doctor's uh, consent now. So that's what I do. Follow strictly your doctor's recommendations. Well, it goes back to exactly what you said about following the protocols. Like that's a real theme here, right? It's to follow what the protocols are. You know, for for the listeners there, remember, keeping in mind, these could be people. Well, let's just say primarily people that might be going through something similar or in a position of authority where people might have exposure to concussion, you know, what's one thing you would want to see change in this general world of concussion? Just one thing at this point. We'll do another podcast for the next thing later, but just for today, let's keep it to just one thing that you would want to change. Attitude and understanding because concussion is an invisible injury or head head injury is invisible. There are no crutches, no stitches, no swelling, no visible signs of an injury. And no two concussions are alike, like no two snowflakes are alike. So it's so hard to compare that to like a broken leg or an uh, an ACL, because those usually take a certain amount of time and follow certain guidelines. But a concussion it can take somebody up to a year to recover and somebody else two weeks. The resistance and the recovery are all different. So it's uh, a very complicated injury that we really have to understand. And the peer pressure, hopefully that lessens up and people understand, coaches understand that they really have to address this. And I think that's something, you know, Ray, through your work and and a little bit of our work, we're gonna we're gonna take this on. We're gonna continue to and we're gonna share it and we're gonna keep spreading the word, the awareness, because especially around second impact, I couldn't agree more. This is a, it's so solvable and it did it takes education, but it also takes courage, you know, like to pull that kid from play, I remember just thinking, like to me, now granted, I know maybe I'm 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 getting an opportunity to know people like yourself and other good doctors who are helping me to understand just how serious second impact is. What I think can take a bit of courage is to pull somebody to say something that is not popular. You know, pulling that kid from play, I knew that I had the dad's eyes burnt into the back of my head. I knew the yeah. other coach, I knew our head coach was even looking at me going, that's our best defenseman. I'm like, okay, these kids have the rest of their lives here, buddy. Like, and and hate me. That's cool. I'm doing this for the kid. And and also I'm trying to hardwire a new path to a healthier sport. And that path is often really unpopular, right? Yeah, it is. And I really troubles me to hear a parent say it's just a headache. It's just a headache. And 
What they don't understand is that when I tell them one and done, I mean that sincerely, at a young age, like 16 and under, one concussion and done for the season. Yeah. One and done. You don't, uh, what are you fooling Love around? It. Something with the brain. It's, Love it. they'll do that with a growth plate, but the brain, <laughs> you know, it did not. It's a no, thing. No, I'm so with you and I'm so with you. And there's no goofing around with any of this stuff. Like I said, I wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't play football again. There's no way. Like, n- no way. I had that concussion. I didn't feel right. And and I knew I wasn't going to be a professional. Like, I just knew it, that wasn't in the cards for me. But, you know, I, I, I was just kind of like, this doesn't feel right. I don't like this. This is not like when I tore my ACL. This is not like, you know, when I tore my rotator cuff. This is not like those injuries. It's not like when I broke my ankle. This is different. And now that I know that assessment's starting to get better, that governing boards are getting better through advocacy work like yours, right? Now we really got to put this to work though and help people to actually implement and follow those protocols. You know, when you think about the future, like if I was to give Ray the brain health crystal ball (laughs) and you had absolute power in the world of brain health, you know, what would that vision for the future look like if, if you could have it shaped really the way that you wanted it to be? I would want that crystal ball to have a voice. And that voice would say, you play any sport that you desire, any sport. You play clean and you play hard. But if you get your bell rung or have symptoms of that, have it addressed promptly and properly. And that would be the key to everything. Yeah, I love that. I mean, sport is such a beautiful thing. Like you and I really share that. Like sport, I still keep in touch with my coaches, you know, um, and and it taught me so much about, you know, teamwork, leadership. You know, it's funny. I was always a team sports athlete and now I'm really finding myself drawn to the individual sports like trail running and cycling. And yeah. it, you know, because it's constantly how do I how do I get one percent better every day? You know, oh, what are the behaviors I need to get? Yeah to get 1% better every day. And now I take that same mindset to our work. You know, how do I get 1% better to help 1% more people every day to serve, to serve 1% more every day. And that's what our organization is all about. And I have a feeling this is the start of a pretty awesome relationship. Oh, absolutely. I think we're in the same, the same boat. We're (laughs) drinking the same water. (laughs) Well, you know, can I add uh, something to this? Um, it would suck an impact injury. Sometimes an athlete or a regular individual that doesn't play sports, but an athlete will come to a sport already injured that they fell off a skateboard or got it at the playground or fell off an ATV, hit their head and they don't tell anybody. They get to practice and they get that second concussion on top of the first one. And right away, the coach is, you know, he's he's shocked. And he thinks that, uh, what could I have done? Well, in that case, absolutely nothing. Until the athletes or the individuals realize when they get that fall off the ATV, do not get back on it, go get help. 
I, I hope I'm explaining that right. You are. No, you are. You are. And because that speaks to the awareness and also the culture making it okay for the athlete to say, it's okay, just tell us everything that's going on. Because the only person that gets hurt if you don't is you. And self-harm is bad. So, you know, like making it okay to talk about it, you know, making it okay, making it actually better than okay to talk about it. Because that's the only way some of these sports are ever going to become a little bit safer. And, you know, so making it, you know, encouraging that communication. Because without that, you're going to have us pushing the snowball uphill for longer than we need to. And with more people pushing that ball up that steep hill than needed, our, my hope is that through the work that we're both, you know, and so many are, are doing, that we're going to build that momentum of a lot of really strong people pushing that ball. And then we get to a point where we've got the momentum and we're moving forward and we're changing the way things are done. Like football, there's a lot of risk regardless uh, of head injury and that, no, no matter how you're playing. So for me, like I said, I wouldn't do it again. But if it is going to be out there, and this is where I really like what Chris Nowinski is trying to do is to play safer, you know, to find ways to play the game in a safer manner. For some other sports like combat sports, like your sport, you know, there's, there's an inherent risk there majorly, you know, that's something that, you know, does scare me a bit, but that I, I know a lot about the brain now. Right. So I, I watch people watching the UFC and I kind of go, Whoa, that's not for me. I know what can happen just from one hit. Like, why are we glorifying this? Yes, these are wonderful athletes, amazing athletes, but just that one hit could end a life. And I don't want to see that happen. No matter how, like, I just don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see people suffer, you know? And man, I appreciate you, what you're doing in your career. It is just, it's awesome, Ray. Like you talk about reading me and my passion. I see it in you too. And, you know, I just wish I could, I could give you a real high five instead of a virtual high five, you know, but eventually our paths will cross. I mentioned we are going to be doing some work in, in the city. And when, when I'm there, you know, you better believe we're going to go for that. Uh, we're going to drink that same water together. <laughs> in I hope so. You know, uh, Mark, if, if, do I have a minute here to left? Yeah, of course. The difference now in boxing and football, and it's a big difference. Oh, yeah. Professionally now. A football player gets their bell rung. The play's over. Um, probably they get help or they have the option to get up and help themselves. That plays over with. In boxing, we get our bell rung. Five, six, seven more are coming. And the athlete today in football has a long-term contract. He gets paid for being out. A fighter, they don't fight. They don't get paid. And it's just going to be the big difference. And nobody really is doing much for boxing outside of they've implemented a 120-day suspension for anybody that gets knocked out or severely beaten. And that is great. They're doing MRIs and they're doing um, EEGs. But, yeah, we all know that those show some things but not concussion. No, no. And, and the exposure, that's the thing, like for some, it's really interesting. I look at the rise of, of sports like CrossFit. It's really been interesting to see, which is the kind of training you do as a boxer and the kind of training that I did as a football player. It, it's hardcore, grunty, hard, intense interval training. 
And I see the rise of that with kids. And I'm saying, well, isn't that wonderful as an option for some of them to not get, you know, to not hit helmet on helmet, to not hit hand to head, but to work out hard and to get that, you know, that dopamine rush from that, you know, giving it everything you had as another potential option for some of these kids to have that outlet that is, you know, without the exposure to head injury or the same level of exposure for a certain subset of that population. And that's where I look at that and I just smile ear to ear because I'm like, hmm, maybe that would have been the better path for me because I I had that grit like you, like you went downstairs right away and said, I'm going to do like, it was that, I believe, that got you to the levels you got, your resiliency, your vision, your, like, your just grit and determination, which again, the strength and the weakness, that's, that's the same thing for me. And uh, it's just wonderful to see these new options becoming available for the youth today. You know, it's nice to see that. Well, Mark, there's two things here that throw up a red flag that convince me overwhelmingly is the fact that I started boxing at the young age of 14, brain developing, Mm -hmm. and never had been knocked out or knocked down. The The accumulation of blows convinced me that those concepts are right on the money. And when I spoke at uh, Dr. Cantu's conference in Boston two years ago, I received an endorsement by Dr. Cantu for my books, Second Impact, the Ray Giangolini story. And that was huge because for kids to read that book, it's going to at least make them think twice before circumventing the help. And I think that's something that typically we talk about favorite books, but I'm going to kind of hijack that in this is that, you know, we're going to have a link in here on, on this podcast to your book, right? For people that they can get it. Okay. So, because I think that you're going to expand on all the concepts we're talking about today. And I know it's all rooted in service of the next generation. So, you know, please, for those that are listening, you'll see in the show notes, a link to Ray's book will be there. Click on it. Okay, please. If it's of interest to you, just click on it. There'll be a link as to where to get it to in there. So we'll make sure that that's there for you because I highly encourage people listen to what Ray's saying and, and it's expanded on much further in his book. Now, for people that are listening here, Ray, obviously you're an inspiration. You're a guy who's walking the walk, who's talking, the, he's making it all happen. You know, if people want to get a hold of you, they want to support your work, um, you know, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, uh, I have my phone out there 24-7. I'll take any call. I have a, an email and a website, uh, Second Impact. So there's three ways to get okay. a hold of me. And we'll have the links in here that are appropriate in here so people can just click them, and especially to the website. I think that's where we want to draw people first. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Ray. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. And this is something we will do again. Um, you know, there's a lot to talk about and unpack here. And I just mm-hmm. want to, again, acknowledge you for your service to the community, your service to the next generation. And you're an inspiration to me, man. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to get to spend some time with you. Well, right back at you, Mark. Uh, again, you. we can't do it alone. So this no. is going to be a good team right here. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And, 
And um, we will see you all for the next edition of, of the podcast and uh, have a wonderful week. Yeah, you also, Mark. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.